You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast mwr.com's website where you can you know subscribe to the podcast you can listen to the podcast you can read our written work about what's going on a week nine recap guess what you get surprised no matt kennerly which you may enjoy or you may not i don't know matt uh, had a fun trip out in new york city had a, i noticed he saw beetlejuice on broadway so i'll have to ask him about that seems pretty interesting but just jeremy here going solo but yeah check us out mwr.com like the podcast you know subscribe review all that fun stuff tell us we're awesome or Hey, if we can get better, we're always open to improvement. So this, um, excuse me, particular week, week nine, had four games. But before we get into games and stuff, they're all quite interesting in their own rights. A couple close ones, one blowout. There was some news during the week, which has kind of been an ongoing thing. It's with Utah State, who did not play this week. But there's been, the past couple years have been quite interesting for the Aggies. We're not going to spend too much time on it, partly because I don't want to speculate or just what details if you've read in the Salt Lake Tribune about certain things, but past couple of years you've had stuff has been kind of piling up for Utah State off the field mostly. And like they again they didn't play this week, which maybe they would have rather had a game to kinda of maybe distraction or just not be in the headlines for this particular reason. So if you'll recall, well, going back we had Gary Gary Anderson's like honestly quit on the team. Frank Maley came in to be the interim. Was he getting the job? Was he not? Was there alleged religious bias for him being a member of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints or something along those lines about was there any sort of uh, bias for religious religion for him being hired or not hired in this case because he did not obviously did not get the job with to Blake Anderson. And then we have stuff last year where there was the meeting where audio was leaked about Blake. And we discussed on the podcast. We try to be sensitive for stuff like this when we – write or talk about just because we're not gonna go extremely deep but it's just a, a look that's not it just seems messy because there's been I guess let me continue before I kind of backtrack more but the comments last year Blake Anderson there's audio released by a player who we do know now who released some information to get to momentarily from former player Patrick Maddox but last year there was I think it was right around the bowl Jimmy Kimmel bowl game maybe day of or no not day of week of or something about and teams do this all the time. They'll bring in people, law enforcement, um, counselors, or people within the school, compliance, I guess is a good way to put it, where, hey, you're popular people on campus. Some people may want to take advantage of that or use, hey, I want to be your good friend. Hey, you're a football team. That'd be cool. Let's go hang out with your football player buddy. But their main thing was talking about, just be careful if you're um, getting in with relations with uh, opposite sex or just you know, girlfriend, whatever, just, just be careful, which 
should be safe to say anybody, obviously college, but college football players like, oh, you're a little more popular. Hey, I want to go hang out. The hanger honors kind of want to <clears throat> be close to football players. And there, and what Anderson said was basically like, eh, some victims want to be kind of glamorized that, which is clearly not the best wording to put that out there because that's just not a good way to see it. There are people who want to take advantage if you're a famous person or something, get involved with them in one way or another. Not even famous, but like just, again, football players on college campuses. Are, they're, they're known for the most part. People know who they are and they want to hang out. Like, oh, it's a cool person to be with. What it probably should have said is, hey, just be careful who you associate yourself with and make sure you're clear on what is going on with consent, hanging out, what, what, whatever the deal is. Because Utah State has had issues within the football program or not with players going to jail for like sexual assault and rape. And so they, and every team does this. They'll bring people in, hey, just know where you're at, know who to call if you need help, all these type of things, precautions, because they don't want people to get in trouble. They don't want there to be victims of stuff going on. They don't want anything to happen because they just want to educate people, hey, just be careful out there in the world with who you're dealing dealing with. And so the latest on this was Anderson made those comments last year. He apologized to his like, poor choice of words. But there was some read up other things. Well, was that – was he really sorry about it? Was he not? I'm not going to judge his character because there's things like when his wife passed away recently or he had – he won a, I believe, the Orange Bowl Coach of the Year some award for like being a good guy essentially. So – it's a little complicated. Like, well, this guy said this thing. He's the worst person in the world. Well, I'm not really going to judge a person if it's the worst day or best day. It's kind of, you're probably in the middle somewhere. But the most recent seven I'll get to, because we got a shorter show because it's just me, and we only have four games to get to. And I feel this is kind of important to get out there just for a brief moment. But what, and just because people seem to be nice. So Patrick Maddox filmed this stuff for audio record. He tried to take his name off it because there could be whistleblowers, retaliation, in which there was in this case about leaking this stuff out there and then one clip i'll have with the like tribune article like the captain i'm like was he really captain it's like a game day captain not to diminish diminish that because there's always guys hey you're captain for game five game eight game nine it doesn't matter if he is or not but there could have been some more clarification reading the initial report who which was not was written by a non-sports person which is fine because this stuff is bigger than sports but he basically went through his like locker he basically almost kicked off the team lost his scholarship locker vandalized Things like that, just because he was like, oh, the locker room or meetings are sacred places. Yes, but if they're discussing things that seem to be in poor, poor taste or not, and up and up, especially with Utah State, where they've had issues over the past handful of years with this problem on campus within the football program. So they want to make sure to get it right because nobody wants to be known for that type of stuff at university. Like, hey, your daughter goes here. There could be stuff going on because of things that happened in the past. So it's like they don't want that to be the case. And he felt Max was helping a friend who was part of a prior lawsuit who eventually settled for $500,000 about the way it was handled. But Coach Anderson said this, and it's just what he says. He, well, let's read what he says exactly. He says, yesterday, yesterday afternoon, I learned that there's a lawsuit that had been filed against me and university. That's the one for Maddox. While I cannot comment on the specific allegations, I'll step in here because lawyers, you can't, you don't want to give information out there that could hurt or interfere with what's going on even inadvertently. So it's good to keep those things short about specifics. That's why you hear that all the time. Can't comment based on the advice of my, my legal team or lawyers, not because they don't want to say I'm innocent or not. I'm the best guy in the world. This didn't happen. They just don't want these things out there because it could complicate what they're working on, whether it's a settlement, defending them, defending themselves or going after somebody else. They want to make sure it's done the proper way and continues to say, I will vigorously defend myself in a university against false statements. So kind of, 
me interjecting it alludes to that. I look forward to providing facts, coexisting clarification of the allegation against myself and the university. I love and appreciate all of our players, past and present. Besides respecting others, each other like family, we will have we want we work to excuse me we work to foster good character and social responsibility. We strive to build a culture of fans, communication, community, and university that we can all be proud of. He goes like goes on to say, skip a few things there. Like misconduct and violence will never be acceptable in our program. Good say, obviously. I care deeply about Patrick Maddox and as I do for all of our players, both before and after incidents of at issue in the lawsuit. I supported Patrick as a player and his goals for the future. Wish him nothing but the best. Well, for what kind of is mentioned from Maddox's point of view, and again, both people are two different sides. Like, eh, what's the real truth here? Um, what what Anderson said last year, which he apologized for and poorly worded, which I don't, I'm not, I don't think he meant it this way. Just kind of wait, put out there. Never been more glamorized to be victim. Which he apologized for comments, and also they also had police chief Earl Morris, who was part of the conversation, resign from his post. And he regrets those words, which I kind of get where he's coming from. And if you just read it, it looks really bad. But if you hear it have more context, okay, I we get what he's saying, but it's still a poor poor way of communicating what he wants to get out there is like just be careful who you're around and so about what maddox is saying is like his locker is destroyed um ruined equipment broken into people like basically hey you better protect yourself hey you're not going to be protected if you by doing this by saying this stuff about the team and putting stuff out there that he faced retaliation after recording that stuff and so it's not great when your football program has this and other things going on the past couple of years even go spanning multiple coaches. Um, I'm not sure if John A. Hartwell is still there through all of this, but there's just been a lot of stuff going on because Tory Green was a pretty extensive issue a couple years ago where sentenced to jail, um, looking for a new trial, but like sexually sold in six women. It's like people just be good and be nice. But I just want to bring it up because it's just kind of a, I know we don't talk about this enough, but it's like just, just be a good person out there. And this part of it too, like this is why some people don't, stand up or say things where I don't want to they'll face this type of stuff, which it can be good to do if it's, if Maddox is everything truthful. He said, it's like, well, it's really bad. I don't know if that's the case. Cause I'm we're just going off what he said and it's telling people, but you does say program. They're kind of in a weird spot right now. Not just as bomb to field too, where down their freaking four string quarterback, uh, up and down the year. And this is just a distraction that nobody wants. Like, I don't think Maddox, he didn't want to deal with the crap he was going with Anderson probably doesn't want, really want to respond again to something thought was kind of settled. School doesn't want to have another lawsuit or something on their hands because there's been a handful of the past couple of years, and there's been issues with Utah State overall. So and he does it. Maddox like, felt there was not much need to get this word out there about what was said. And again, Maddox's stuff was basically what we heard last year. But it's like gear was stolen, destroyed. He was made to apologize in front of the team. Kind of embarrassing there, which kind of puts a target on him as well. And then here's the part that, who knows if it's true or not, but this is what he said, and this kind of really irks me. Anderson said the player told that the team told the team that Maddox made a mistake. Okay, because sharing that stuff it is pretty personal stuff, but at sometimes he feels necessary. It's like, okay, do what you gotta do, pal. And the players could punish them as they saw fit, which is crazy to think. And then like stuff was stolen, like I mentioned. But it's uh, here's what Maddox said here, and we'll kind of move on. Like Utah State makes it look like they care, but it's a smokescreen. So. I don't know where this goes forward, but just in general, big picture, like it's not good for universities had multiple issues about sexual assault and things about not reporting things or not doing it properly. And so in my case, just kind of from the outset, obviously 
I'd kind of lean more toward the player. But if somebody comes out and says something like that, and there's bad, and they know what could come to them, it's not great. So it's they they kind of understand what's going on. And so if they're willing to come out and say that, and things go bad after, I'm like, okay, buddy. That's uh, I'd kind of lean more toward what they're saying. But overall, we Utah State knows they need to do better, and it's. I don't know how it's going exactly because this kind of, again, puts a complicated wrinkle thing into it. So, But uh, we'll move on to games here because that's more exciting what you want to listen to. But I felt I want to bring it out there because nobody reads it and listens to it. But anybody out there, just be a nice person. Be great to people. Be cool. So, It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving on, games, fun stuff. First game of the weekend, Utah, or not Utah State, excuse me, Boise State 49, Colorado State 10. This uh, was not going to be the week where Rams are going to end their 11-game, 0-11 um, distinction against the Broncos. And this game was on the blue turf. And also the curse of being ranked number one in power pole did not come to fruition because the Broncos won easily. And here's where I started this game. I did the winners and losers column because Matt was gone this week. I was looking around like, okay, I need to make sure it goes well. I had a bonus winner as well, which is awesome too. I felt that was great. But one guy who I shot during the broadcast early on, you had because boy, UC State had a couple injuries on that defensive front. They had like Matic or Matlock out, out and some other guys not available to play, and so the temp chart basically uh, thinned out a little bit, but particular on that defensive front. And so you had again, you had. Oh, I'm looking at last week's winners and losers. Apologies, but. The game itself, it was just, whew, Boise kind of slowly kept going and going and then kind of burst open there in that fourth quarter scored no points, but it was 28-10 at halftime. But the big thing about, a couple of big things about the game, J-Tess had some good stats from KTVB, but looking at um, the defense side of the ball, trying to make sure exactly who's out because I don't want to get it wrong. So you had um, Divine Ober, Ober, I'm going to butcher his name because I'm terrible at names sometimes. This name is, I don't want to get people's names wrong. But when you look at Divine Obachair there, the defensive tackle senior guy, the Fox put up a graphic or he didn't hasn't played a ton because not starter and just he's not out there, but he's out there, he's dang good effective. And so he was in there, we had four and a half TF, TFLs, two sacks, seven total tackles, get into the backfield because uh, yeah, Scott Matlock and Jackson Cravens. I was thinking of somebody else for some reason. They made another other guys, but like he was in place for those guys and he was just all, those big plays, four and a half TFLs, he was in the backfield early and often. And it's not like the Rams are great. Their offensive line isn't all that good, obviously, because Clay Millen, we we said all year where he does those quick passes, he'll have a high percentage rate, but his yards per throw or air yards per attempt is pretty low. But he led the team in tackles, obviously TFL, solo tackles, everything for the day. And overall, Boise had nine TFLs, 
um, five sacks against Millen. But his defensive presence was – he's a guy that's like, this defense is number two in the country in total, like, defensive – most defensive metrics. So here's a couple things from, from Jay Tusty had out there regarding defense. They are second in the country um, in total oh, – I'm back up here. I think believe total defense. They are just crushing. Like, you got a guy who doesn't play a ton, makes those type of plays – and the Rams were looking like, okay, maybe uh, Morrow would do well. He had five carries for two yards. Even Morrow, that's it. The running game was three total rushing yards. Three total rushing yards. I know minus 30 was stack yardage because Millen. So even then, add those in, 33 yards. Boise defense was dominant. The Rams did have one touchdown on a Clay Millen pass. And it was, was that the, they had that one, almost all the, all the, almost all the yards, almost everything came on the, uh, where'd it go? The touchdown, two play, 75 yard Pass a 76-yard touchdown pass, which is a great play in that end of the first half there. That basically was almost half the yard. Did 170 total yards. That was just under half. And that was to Justice Ross Simmons, who, great play. Torrey Horton did well, 6 for 63. But, like, the big thing about this game, Boise defense came out big. Taylor Green had a 300-yard game. Best game in a long time, 24-30. Could not be touched. We'll get to George Hahn in a moment here, who's could be a dark horse conference player of the year, the way he's been playing the past whole season and missing last week. Stephen Cobb showed up. Billy Bowen showed up. All these receivers showed up. 305 yards, no touch, no interceptions, two touchdowns. Like, looking at team stats, like the Rams couldn't do anything. 1 of 12 on third down. 0 for 2 on the both fourth downs they did. Went, went to do it. More penalized in Boise State. They had, uh, turnovers were even. They had one, one interception. So, like, just look at some numbers here for what's going on. Like, they found the quarterback. Taylor Green did quite well, obviously. But George Lottie, 108 yards on 21 carries. Four three TDs. And this is what me and Matt's been saying for a long time with him. When he plays and plays well, Boise's really good. Because for how good their defense is, they still need offense. Green's figuring out being the quarterback, taking over Hank Bachmeyer early on in the year after a couple of games, first uh, month, I believe. He is back to Hawaii. 11 0 when he's just rushed for 100 yards team. 11 1 when he scores a touchdown. 13 2 when he gets 17 touches. He had 25 total touches, four receptions, 18 yards. He is that good and it's just the offensive line hasn't been great and he hasn't really been healthy the past couple years he should pass a thousand yards next week versus Wyoming at some point but him on the air like there's a chance of Boise they're undefeated in the league plays well so they have a pretty clear path to go to the title game he's had I know he missed last week but his past three games he's played over 100 yards he had 110 versus UT Martin the only really game he wasn't good was Oregon State where he had nine yards UTEP they lost. That was a weird, very weird loss. Not great, like 75 yards. But the last couple games, 5.1 yards per play. Fresno, 9.2 yards per play. 7.7 versus San Diego State. Five touchdowns in the past three games. He's, or excuse me, not next week versus Wyoming. He'll pass them probably when they play Wyoming, if he makes apologies. He has 657. He, yards per game, he's top near the top of the Mountain West Conference. Three, three receiving touchdowns. He is... Being the guy we thought he would be, and the offensive line's finally sticking together, that's been the problem. So it's a big one for Boise State. Just not that we weren't shocked. Point wise, little shocking. 49's a ton, and they haven't scored a ton of points. But if Jalen Green, excuse me, Taylor Green's figured things out, Broncos like they they're getting some points in the coaches' pool. I know they made the Fiesta Bowl when they had two losses under Brian Harson years ago. I believe year one for him. It's gonna be tough. They got BYU who struggled. Mightily, they play them next week, and they go to Nevada, to Wyoming, versus Utah State. There's a reasonable chance, like I actually look at FPM momentarily, but like a uh, ten and two team, 
does not seem unrealistic. Their toughest game, they get BYU at home and BYU struggling. That will be a decent game. But going to Wyoming is probably their most difficult thing. Utah State at home, it's a Black Friday game on CBS. Aggies are... If they get Cooper Lagaw back, okay, we'll put them in the conversation. But if they're ran out there, Levi Williams or Davenport, they're a problem. Currently, Boise is a 65% chance FPI to beat BYU. So they did well. They did what they needed to do. They're getting guys back, and they're looking strong overall. I know we do have the first playoff rankings coming out, but uh, they're not going to be ranked. And if they're going to get – the UTEP loss is looking pretty, pretty stale and not great. But if they're going to be in that conversation for – the group of five spot Tulane's sitting there top 20 team 19 they're still liberties and independent still so they can't really get there and UCF who also has two losses and Tulane has one loss and so we'll see how it goes if Boise could somehow figure their way out and just dominate and kind of get some style points because UCF still has let's see two lanes so that will knock one of those two guys out Navy South Florida and Memphis whatever so one of those two will knock them out. Then looking at what Chilean has, obviously UCF. They have SMU's pretty good and Cincinnati. So they're – I'll just go like what Matt says. There's a non-zero chance they'll make it there. But the way they've been playing, they've been playing really good. And even look at the other receiving votes for teams. Troy's getting votes. Maybe somebody from the Sun Belt can move up and do and that up. They're kind of – let me pull up their standings. I believe they're kind of beating each other up because James Madison's not eligible – App State, I think, has lost twice on the year. Coastal has obviously lost their undefeated status recently. Um, UTSA, no, they're not going to make it there. But looking at the Sun Belt real quick, Coastal seven one, but not even receiving, not even ranked. Troy six and two overall. So that's about. That'll be tough, man. I don't know how it'll get done, but there's a. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but there's if they went out ten and twelve and two, excuse me, eleven and two with a conference title win over. We'll see come from the West. Maybe San Jose State possibly. Fresno, San Diego State all in the mix. It'll be an interesting game, to, a team to watch to see if they can get in that conversation. So next game, probably the game of the weekend, San Diego State, Fresno State. Oh, my Aztec brethren. Apologies. Not, well, not just, just for the way the game ended. Like, I like Fresno. I like Aztecs. The big thing about this game was uh, Jake Kanner returning to the lineup fully dressed, ready to go, started nearly 400 yards. Three TDs. Did it did look a little shaky throughout the ball. Two picks. Got sacked a couple of times as well. Six to be. Uh sorry. A couple's not doing it, Josh. Seven TFLs. Jordan Tavai, two and a half TFLs. Michael Shawcroft a T or excuse me, yeah, sack and a half. These guys were getting out of Katie McDonald showed up big with the with the sack and a one and a half TFLs. They were getting after Hayner all day and he still had through 34-45, San Diego State looked to have this game because Jalen made it. QB played quite well. 291, two TDs, two picks. Rushing game, again, hasn't been great. Made and led the way. He played quite well. And this is like what they have Lucas Johnson a little bit. Not the throwing-wise because he's throwing way better. But the running is kind of what Lucas Johnson had before he transferred out of town. And he just wasn't quite yet there throwing. But the way to get men to... <coughs> excuse me. We go in reverse. Technically, with 105 left... San Diego State had like a 98% win probability looking at uh, – I know Chris Gravini had a – Chris Gravini had a tweet out from the Athletic basically going off of the um, the uh, win probability. I'm trying to pull up the stats here. Like 90 – he's like 90 – I want to get the exact numbers. Like 90-something percent, 95-plus percent. Ferguson was driving, so they actually had the ball with um, – yeah, 
oh geez, sorry, ninety-eight point two percent. I want the exact number. So it was like a minute or something left. But San Diego State was on defense, and Fresno had the ball with about four minutes left late in the game after they forced a three and out. Where the end of the game, like it, Fresno scored, was down twenty-eight to ten in this game, twenty-eight to ten in the third quarter, and we'll kind of go from there. They got the quick um, two plays, ten yards. Because the, there was the uh, I think there's an interception. There, my thing's incorrect. Or, Again, guys, don't use the ESPN drive chart. Screwed me up here. But they scored on a – oh, my gosh. I don't know what's going on here. But it's 2817. I, I, I'm just frustrated with myself for note-taking or actually lack of note-taking looking at the play-by-play play play, play chart here because they were down 21-10, obviously halftime, 28-10, and then Fresno scored right at the eight-yard touchdown pass right at the end of the third quarter. So 2017, okay. Boise, or should be Fresno, not looking good. Scoring touchdown, getting a little, getting back in this game a little bit. But then the touchdown went fumble, turnover for Aztecs, turnover on downs. Aztecs, or no, I'm looking wrong, wrong drive trade. Apologies. There's the turnover on downs. That was correct. The interception, then the fumble, missed field goal. Like that fourth quarter was a complete mess until the final like four minutes where Aztecs could get anything to minus 10 on their possession after they picked off Jay Kaner. And Hainers, just FYI, both his interceptions, or excuse me, not his, but his interception late in the second half, not good. His interception in the um, th- beginning of the third quarter led to a touchdown. So that 28-10 like, oh boy, this game's getting out of hand. But then here's where it gets interesting. They get the ball, 11 played, 80-yard drive after they forced a three and out. They go all the way down, obviously get the touchdown, and two-point conversion to Zane Pope, who had a pretty good day as well. So there's a minute nine left. Then they do the weirdest onside kick that Aztecs catch the dang ball. You know what's coming. Because call it, it made it really hard to get onside kicks. Because I know you can't like overload the side with like ten players anymore to balance it out like the NFL does. It's really hard, and they got it. And then Hainer goes pretty aggressive over the middle, touchdown, boom, 20, 32-20, they're up. And then I don't. And then I watching the play, like the first play Jalen made. Now okay, we're down forty four seconds left. We're down four. He tried to go across the middle field, but it was a, a very athletic interception that Fresno State made. To seal a victory, but looking overall at the game, the only thing the Aztecs have done better, obviously, the defense played well throughout the whole game. Is just that little bit where they had that big touchdown play, and they, and when Aztecs got the ball and only needed ten yards to score a touchdown, so it's like, well, they get short field, they get the ball back, they go a long eighty-yard drive, and they get the intercept or not interception, yeah, fi- final game, final play of the game, interception, and then the one play thirty-seven-yard score. Aztecs had this game. They're now sitting at four and four. Fresno's now four and four, three and one in conference overall. But a couple of things like look at this game, like third down, Aztecs couldn't stop Fresno State nine and fifteen. You had it, it's wild in this game because they had the it just wasn't clean for San Diego State with five turnovers. You could not win. Like they were in a position to win. They had five more turnovers minus three, more more penalties, but same yards. They held Fresno State to minus three rushing. They they averaged eleven Aztecs eleven yards per pass play. They're throwing better efficiency wise than Jay Kaner, who nearly had four hundred yards. Aztecs on offense, decent six eleven on third down, two or three and fourth down. So they were aggressive and got it mostly when it counted, but they could not hold the ball. The fumble that led to that short field, they just could not do it. Like their defense played well enough. Yeah, they got the give the yards, but their rushing game, rushing defense was amazing. Jordan Mims did nothing, thirteen for thirty two. They, but Zane Pope and Nico, uh, Nico Remigio, Remigio 
just torched that secondary. Those two guys, 20 catches, 269 yards, and three touchdowns combined. And that doesn't include Jalen Moreno Cropper at six for 67. They could not get things done in that secondary. I guess they play like, okay, we'll stop the run game, beat us in the air, sure, whatever. But even with the way Essex played on offense, the minus five or five turnovers. They didn't run the ball extremely well. Passing game was was good, especially Aztec terms. Two ninety one, really good. They defense again got to the backfield. Nine TFL seven again seven sacks. Fresno State's off defensive front only had one sack and four TFLs. That's it. They stopped the big running plays. There's a couple chunk plays like that. Jake Browning thirty three yard run and uh, Maiden had his own twenty yard run. But the running games themselves, Chance Bell. Had the one fifteen yard. That's about it. Like Maiden, Maiden had four total touchdowns. He played quite well. Yeah, the picks don't help, but you gotta hold the ball. Like the fumbles, you had Bird fumble twice and lose it twice. Maiden lost it once as well on a fumble. And so like Bird ran the ball six times and two fumbles. That's not good, guys. And this is good to. I know last week I missed doing the uh, FPI or kind of the race to the title game, but now. The West, like, this is a game I had Aztecs won. They're sitting right now. They both have the same conference record. Obviously, tiebreaker favors Fresno. Right now in the league play, uh, Fresno, three, or excuse me, they, they're up on the loss column. Excuse me. Fresno, San Jose State are tied at 3-1. and one. It could have been flipped. Aztecs haven't played Spartans yet. But Fresno right now, them sitting 3-1, and one, Spartans 3-1. and one. They had, um, and they beat Fresno, they beat San Jose State. So, basically, Fresno wins out. They're in the title game. That's all it takes to it get to it's kind of what we all thought early in the year hey they're gonna be good they're not good on the road at one and three but right now they went out they're in that's essentially how it works and i think even i know unlv is off as well with looking at their schedule really quick if it'll give me the details i need technically unlv can own their own can win out too but they have to play aztecs host fresno hawaii nevada they went out they get tiebreaker over fresno state they could still just all they gotta do is win and get in that's the thing there but fresno Running game's got to get better, but they took advantage. Their defense stepped up big, even though they didn't pressure QB all that well. They let Maiden have a big game. They didn't really... Well, I'm not saying they didn't play well. They got the turnovers. I'm saying, like, as for the passing def- defense overall, they... for now, oh, I'm, See, I'm trying to be complimentary and not nice to both teams on this situation. They played well. Turnovers are all that matters, and the running game stopped, and Maiden had a great game for Aztecs, and they had a couple picks, but... Their Aztecs get back in. They need another Spart or a uh, no Spartans already played and beat for, lost to Fresno. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting if um, the way it goes out. But Fresno can win out. They go UNLV wins out. They go looking at San Diego State really quick. I know they have the loss to obviously to Fresno over the weekend, but they also have they play UNLV and San Jose State. So actually, the, the, what basically would happen Aztecs again, and they would need. To win out, obviously, they, they're going to knock out UNLV, knock out San Jose State, and then they would need Fresno to lose one more because we look at the standings overall. It's uh, no, they need no, sorry, they need Fresno to lose twice because one loss difference. So Aztecs are who will be tough, but Fresno looks like they are the team to if they do their thing. Them that game versus um, well, they already beat Fresno, so basically they win their end that's all it comes on so i'm going long the long way about to get to that point where the west division is looking where it could be a boise state fresno state uh trying to get much you know that's what the preseason polls and those projected and that happened next game san jose state comes from behind to beat nevada 35 20 this is for those who don't remember or somehow weren't pay attention san jose state their game last week was uh postponed 
and that was due to the passing of their, their freshman running back teammates um, where there was a unfortunately got struck by a bus early morning workout dark outside still and get a passive candemic right so they had a moment of all of this for the family kind of cheer them on get going decals t-shirts all sorts of stuff they wanted to play well and get the win and it was pretty exciting to see they put a number six in the field they demanded stuff they were it was exciting atmosphere for homecoming as well for them to get the win um even though candem like his young guy didn't do much on the field but heck he had a pretty bright future we're thinking with what Coach Brennan said, so they won 35-28, and lot big emotional win for them because, geez, that's got to be just heartbreaking with your teammate gone. They, fight, they get a kind of weak degree, but then they're back out there. And big game for Shane. Shavon Cordero had a big game, rushing game. Well, Lena Hot is for San Jose State. It's hit or miss, and this week, well, big fat miss for them with, only, with Kyrie Robertson not doing well. But like, Nevada played good. Toe out, three touchdowns. She, remember, Shane Illingworth got to start over Nate Cox. She had a, one of the better games of the season for them, 223 yards. BJ Castile crushed it with his 21 yards per play. Um, the defense, like, Wolfpack had changed. They had five sacks. They got after Cordero. They slowed down that running game with 10 TFLs. They were all over the place. When you have guys like uh, Dom Peterson, obviously, who does great. Four tackles, <laughs> one sack, two, two and a half TFLs. He was back there. Also, had, uh, on the other side, I got to mention Fajoko. Maybe he should be one of my winners as well, but I'm with the Boise D-line because apparently we're Boise homers, and that's how it is. But he had a huge game, 4.5 TFLs, 12 tackles total. Had a huge game. I probably should have updated that, but it is what it is now. I put it back. When you have a backup player, I have a big game. It's okay for one week. But Foco, honorable mention, at the very least, I'm not next guy in there. So the way this game played out, like it was Spartans' offense was sputtering. Nevada's defense with Ken Wilson was doing their thing. They're up 14 Seven halftime. But what I like about Spartans really quick, they were aggressive. They went for that um, first possession of the game. We're going to go for it and want to score. We got the ball. Teammate went on our teammate touchdown. For, unfortunately, in fourth and fourth quarter, we sacked inside the Nevada 30. And then they had a fumble. They weren't playing. They weren't crisp, really. Moving the, moving the ball that much with the fumble. They finally got on the board that long touchdown drive to make it 7-7, seven to seven, where they started throwing 17. There was um, a couple plays there. There's the 15-yard penalty pass interference. There's actually two PI calls, which are huge, and give San Jose State 30 free yards to get them down where they finally go for touchdown where aggressive again, fourth and two, go for the touch, go for the play. Got the touchdown on that uh, Mazadia um, TD pass from Cordero. But, like, it was shaky. Punt, three and out, three and out, not moving the ball very well. And then second half, it's like Nevada scores instantly, goes down the field, gets up. Fresno State could not, or excuse me, San Jose State could not stop them. Castile with one of his many touchdowns, the deep bomb, 53-yarder to Castile. And then that, this is when Spartans finally came back. Okay, I'm not just box scoring, but it's kind of context. Like 21-14, then they tie it. When they tied it, I was like, oh, boy, that was a long drive. I'm like, after Nevada had to punt on three, and I'm like, oh, there's a... I was thinking, because they completed two third downs on the drive, third and 10, third and seven. Like, there's thinking this game's over. Spartans are going to get it, even though it's tied. It's just tied at this point. But the way Nevada's played all year, they're only two and seven after loss. Win loss in conference play, figured out oh, it's over. They were spotted nice with long drive, but then guess what? Spartans did as well. Then it finally caught up to him, the punt, touchdown. Then to end the game, similar to San Diego State, interception, driving a bit, third and 13. Just uh, picked off in the end of Kate Hall. This is probably the biggest play of the game. Back-to-back sacks by Cade Hall. First and 10 sack. 
make a second and 12, then make it third and 13, back-to-back sacks, interception. So Cadal had a huge game as well with those pair of sacks. That kind of ended up for them. But Spartans are a team like they're resilient. They're good. They're playing like a couple years ago. People like, oh, 2021, they're whatever. 2020 is a fluke. But they had, you know, like Kate Hall, I should make some four freaking sacks. Kate Hall was all over the place. So both these teams, like, Illinois threw well, but he was harassed all night. Like, that defensive effort by those two guys, Fajoko and Hall, were clutch in this matchup. And that's what Nevada needs to work on, like, protect the quarterback a bit more. And Illinois was 18-29. He was fine, 223. But Toa Tau probably could have been a bit better. One-third of his yards came on one running play. Three touchdowns, great, because still did good. They see more people going on because this is a weird stat. Toa Tau, two receptions, minus three yards. Spencer Curtis, one pass, minus two yards. You can't have that happen. That's just weird stuff. So Nevada, Nevada needs to be a bit more a bit more well-rounded. And they'd have chances. Like, they were okay. They're actually better on third down than San Jose State. 8-17, better on fourth down, completing their one chance. They passed the ball better. Their running game was better, but pet, well, okay, I say better, but this stat's funny. 1.7 yards per running play for Nevada. Point freaking nine for San Jose State. That's it. Under one yard per carry. And then also, we mentioned those 30 yards on PI calls. 114 penalties, 11 times they're penalized. Nevada, they had their chances to win this game. And Spartans weren't great penalty-wise either. 7 for 71. This was a, a game where Nevada do a couple things different. They win this game. 7-point game. Protect the QB in that, on that last drive. Maybe make a play, but it puts Nevada 0-5, 2-7 league play. We mentioned Spartans. They need a Fresno loss and then winning out to get the title, title game. So there's that to consider. But there is a positive for Nevada. Like, Illingworth throwing better. That's a good positive we want to see from this Nevada team. Like, 28 points. We didn't expect them to score that many points. So, that's, uh, yeah, it's a, they're getting there. They're getting closer. But final game weekend, the Pauliano Trophy. Wyoming has, I like to say, they haven't won in 25 years in Hawaii. Well, they broke that streak. But also, if you want some context, as I put in the winners and losers, I put that as a winner because that's pretty cool number. But when you look at it more closely, these teams, you, Two programs were in the whack prior to the Mountain West split back in '99, right before the century. Seems weird. that's always weird to say, right before the turn of the century. I'm like, dude, we're 27 years in. It's crazy. But when you look at it, when they actually played, because they're whack team, or excuse me, conference mates for a long time. And but now they're back in the league play, but also in different divisions. So they haven't played. They're not a regular opponent on the schedule. So when you kind of when you look at what's the PETA, which is amazing. Stat or me website. Apparently, I click on the Under Armour link because, you know, I fall for the ads. But when you look at when they've played and everything, it's like they haven't played it often. So while it's interesting and a fun stat, oh, they haven't won in twenty five years out in the islands. Well, and Wyoming does take the overall win total 16, 16 to eleven. Prior since twenty thirteen, when they both joined the conference, one, two, three, four. This is the seventh time they played, and prior to twenty thirteen, the last time they played was. 1997, that Wyoming win, so 25 years ago. Wyoming's actually, back in the 90s, they won one, two, three, four. They had a five-game winning streak. They've actually basically split the rest since they joined the Mountain West in four and three. So when you're at 25-year 25 25 number, yeah, but also they've been trading blows of who won where the past couple years. Home road team, or it should be home team winning up until a couple times. So you had Wyoming win on the road, this time, first time forever. You had Hawaii win last year. Wyoming won at home. It's kind of been typically 
at home, the winner has the advantage, which makes sense. These are two of the craziest home field advantages due to travel. It's Hawaii's far. And also, it's freaking Hawaii. You got the sun. You got good weather. You go to Laramie. It's okay. Go to Denver. You fly in. You got a bus in north of 90 minutes or so to get there. But back to the game itself. So this is this game. So with the uh, with Wyoming getting the win, 27 to 20. So like, okay, what's going on here? How do they get the win? Okay, Andrew Peasley didn't play well. 76 yards, whatever. Um, Titus Swen only had five carries. Not what you want to see from him, but it didn't matter. D- DQ James who had n- another huge game. He had yes, he had 74 74 yard run, but he had 179 yards. Even without that run, 13 about 100, no touchdowns. So 74 yarder wasn't a score, but they had huge plays like Mc, uh, Dwayne Dwayne McNeely had 61 yards. Or excuse me, 61 long. On their 81 total yards, passing not good with Peasley, only 7 to 15, getting around that under 50% mark again. But this took a fourth quarter comeback for Wyoming to get it done, where they were down again. When you look at that last bit of the game, we could have go backwards. Wyoming was up at half, but barely. Or should be tied at the half. They get the first points, but. Oh, sorry, not coming from behind. I apologize. I'm looking at this incorrectly by mistake. They they just got the win. I, I was looking at something correctly because I screw up sometimes because that's what happened and whatever. So, but it's pretty much a close game throughout. But again, a seven point win on the road. So, Wyoming basically made plays where they needed to because the biggest point of the game was the turnover on downs. Hawaii was trying to respond to a Wyoming touchdown that was only four plays. That's where that 61 yard McNeely touchdown run came, came, came through late in that game. And if you, as me watching this on the freaking phone, because Team One Sports app, which glad we can get the game, but it's like, man, I'd really like to watch it on a better team, better screen. So what? Uh, turnover and downs was pretty much the game because they're down seven, and they're they drive. They're they're in a weird spot too. It's like, okay, we're down seven, nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. You could punt, but they're at the one forty-two. It's like we're just going for it. But the problem is on third and seven, if they know they're going for it on fourth down, it's like why not? Do a shorter pass or run the ball because that would have been helpful because they had third and seven, the fourth and seven, and it was a all they got was a, a couple yards on fourth down. They only got three yards, not enough. And then this is where it changed. One was like, all right, we got this. They get the ball at their own thirty nine. They just march, 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 march down the field with James running the ball, Brash running the ball, McNeely running the ball. It was basically running. Peasley ran the ball. They had one pass completion on that drive which was a big one because it was third and 15 for a 25-yarder. 25-yarder to get the wide four-yard four line in this score touchdown. That 25-yard play was one-third of Andrew Peasley's total yards. So that play literally was the key difference to get that first down. Then they scored shortly down there and held on to their lead, yes. But it's for what, what I mean, it's now also both freaking eligible. Six and three, four and one in league play. They are getting things done despite their inefficiency at quarterback. Defense is playing... Quite well. They did not pick off Schrager. They did not record a fumble. However, they did, and they got six TFL. Sorry, I was going to say something else. But they defense was fine. Like They weren't amazing in this game. They made efficient stops when they needed to because Schrager, Schrager had 205 yards. Taylor Hines had a big game. But one big thing, too, Dedrick Parsons got shut down only 29 yards rushing. He did not. He's a guy where him and Billy Zoen, who we met, or excuse me, Zion Bowens, not Billy Zoen, get backwards there. Are there big plays? Yeah, Bones did have a TD, but Pars- I know Parsons didn't get done. Luckily for why that Hines who had a great game as well, or excuse me, in in lieu of Parsons struggling, Parsons needs to have a big game for them to win. But overall, what Wyoming did, like they 
they won a game. Like, then if you look at like we mentioned like the box score stuff, like who would win this game? It's like okay, well I mean, the team A is well I mean fewer first downs. Okay, four of eleven on third down compared to six to seventeen. Okay, Hawaii goes aggressive two or three on fourth down. Uh, Hawaii outpasses or excuse me outrushes Wyoming quite a bit. Passing, um, or excuse me, got the backwards. Apologies. Outpassing Wyoming big time. Rushing flipped Wyoming out quite well. More penalties for Wyoming. Wyoming was my, was minus two in the turnover margin. Hawaii had plenty of chances. They just couldn't get it done. Getting those turnovers, it's like I know TV Chang's young. They'll get there at some point. Braden Shakers played a bit. But when you get turnovers, like you record fumble, they missed a field goal as well. It's like they did. Okay, I apologize. They did turn one interception to a field goal. That's great. But the second one, they went three and out, and they're all in the first half. Second half, no turnovers. Um, unless you want to include turnover and downs, which technically is for Hawaii's offense when they wanted to make that play and didn't quite get it done. We're short, but Hawaii had chances to win this game with turnover wise, with how well they're throwing the ball pretty well with Shaker, not. Still barely fifty percent, but oh, give Wyoming a ton of credit. Like, this game could have gone either way, but I'll give Wyoming credit too, where they were clearly turnovers not going their way, but the defense made the huge plays like that. That was their only fourth down they missed. Why so was two and two on fourth down going into that one late in the game? They turn over to a touchdown, and then to end the game, well, Wyoming got the ball three plays. It, onside kick obviously failed for. Uh, Excuse for um, Hawaii there because when they kicked it like what, ninety seconds left, but. Yeah, this uh, puts him at bowl eligible for Wyoming. And, again, the standings are turning out what we kind of felt for the year. So when we look at Wyoming, we've gone through schedules overall. They have one loss in league play. Boise has zero loss in league play, both in the Mountain Division. So when it comes out for the season, that game in two weeks, 11-19, because Wyoming plays CSU for the bronze boot, which, honestly, they should win. But then they got Boise and Fresno to end the year. They are most likely... I think they have to out if they're gonna win the division, they clearly gotta be Boise State because then they'd be one in the same league record. And assuming Boise uh, that's the only loss, so they'd have the tiebreaker right there. But going to Fresno State and Jay Kane are back, I don't know if Wyoming can get both. So Wyoming might finish six and two in league play, right, Ben? And be right and if Boise has a one loss, they get in there over the Broncos, or should be Broncos get in over them. It'll be tough if they could finish out, but they're in the running too. They take care of business. They're good to go. So, yeah, it's gutsy when going to Hawaii and winning is never easy. And well, I mean, again, twenty five years, but the past couple of years they haven't been getting it done either on the road there at the Warriors, uh, even at the the complex there holds like nine thousand people. So, that's all we got for today. Wrap it up here. Jeremy here hanging out for Matt. Has an awesome trip he had. Hey, I went about forty five minutes. Not too bad. Hopefully you enjoyed it. MWR.com. Check out all of our we got power rankings. We got recaps up. All my five words a little bit later today. I had a couple things going on, so it should be up by the time you hear this. That's always fun interaction from the fan bases, and I put in my two cents as well for there. But, yeah, check us out, MWR.com. We'll be back in a couple days to discuss week – oh, boy, week 10. Conference races are heating up. It'll be interesting to what's going on, and playoff rankings come out as well on Tuesday. We'll see if Boise gets – they're not going to sneak in. Clearly they're not. But I think we might start doing those posts like, okay, here's how they can get in since they're the two lost team in the conference and probably and with them receiving votes are the clearly the closest team who's getting there. So we'll keep an eye on that as it goes on for this week, especially with the American teams playing each other. But till next time, um, we'll see you next time. And again, MWR.com. Hey, everybody have a good day and uh, see you next time.